This is Coda Radio, episode 177 for November 2nd, 2015. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, who I believe is fighting a mighty, mighty plague. Why, yes, folks, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Misa here, but with a cold. Yeah, <laughs> I got a little bit of a cold too. Uh, <laughs> if you hear me go, smoke. <laughs> if you hear me go, kind of uh, quiet for a brief second, like if I'm talking all of a sudden, like that, you know, I just cut out. It's probably because I'm coughing and I'm stamping on my mute button. Uh, so it's funny you do the Jar Jar thing because I think you need to stand back and stand aside because today, November second, two thousand and fifteen, is Star Trek Day. It is Star Trek Day, ladies and oh, oh yeah! Open your heart and bring in the Star Trek, because it was it was announced this morning that in 2017 January, Star Trek is coming back as a TV series. CBS will be launching a premiere on terrestrial radio, no, <laughs> terrestrial broadcast television, like over cable and broadcast. And then my understanding is the rest of this TV series is going to play out on their CBS Online Interactive, blah blah blah, proprietary garbage service. New Star Trek television series. Big news. I'm excited. Yeah, I know. More. Now, is it going to be as communist and socialist as the original two? Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. All right. Let's do, no, that's fine. We'll just stick with the I'm, fantasy stuff. I'm actually stuff. a big that's, fan of the next gen. Cool. Hey, so we have a pretty fun show, a kind of a packed show. It's kind of crazy. Uh, coming up on uh, today's episode of Coda Radio, we're going to talk a little bit about why outsourcing doesn't necessarily work anymore, or maybe not. We'll get Mike's opinion on that. Shipping when it's time to ship. Why testing is making Mike a bit testy. And then an interesting article about coding boot camps and why they're seeing a huge surge. A new survey came out. Huge surge. Big money. Uh, what's going on there? And it's kind of um, inescapable logic. And we've not been big fans of uh, coding boot camps, so it's kind of sad. But we're going to cover the numbers and see what we think. And then last but not least, it sounds like Mr. Dominic may be considering installing Linux again. What? Dun, dun, dun. I, no, I keep falling off the wagon there. <laughs> you know, I played the Show Me the Money clip because I just, I, I, I played a bet that this would happen again, and uh, I think my bet just came true. I think yeah. I just won that bet. So, yeah, uh, and actually, it's funny because you were, you were getting some recommendations on Twitter. I, I followed the thread. I didn't say anything. I just sat back and watched what people said to you because I was planning to talk to you about it in the show today. So you got, all, you got a bunch of replies. I'm going to go through those replies and tell you what I agree with and what I don't. And actually, it turns out I just did something this weekend that I'm going to recommend you do. So that's did coming you up. Finally, upgrade to that Grinder Premium profile. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the uh, Three Ender. I think is the uh, the one I ended up getting. Oh. So oh. And, and then we have some great feedback uh, that I want to get to hopefully this week. So uh, why don't we start with uh, why software outsourcing doesn't work anymore, because this is kind of a, a, a topic for us, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, Mr. Dominic. And we Mr. both independently found the same article. Yeah, is, okay, interesting. Right. All right, so here, I'll just, I'll, I have broken out highlights. We will link to the full article uh, in the show notes, but the highlights are this. He says, uh, this is just setting it up. 
I want to create an iPhone app for my web service, but I don't have programmers. Well, I don't have iOS programmers, and I don't have money. Sound familiar? What do I do? I go to Google or Upwork and find an awesome company in Bangalore or Bangalore that is excited to work with me for nothing or reasonable money. In a few months and after a few thousand dollars, I realize it's not exactly what I expected. After another few months, I swear to God, I'll never outsource any software development to anyone. Is it just me? No, not really. This preamble is not a joke. I mean, it essentially is, but it's, pretty, it's not too far from the truth either. Of course, in the bigger companies and bigger projects, the story will be different. But the outcome is always, almost always the same. It's a disaster. I'm talking about outsourcing, not offshore development. The difference is that outsourcing, there are two companies involved, you, the client, and some we code like no one else, Inc. from, you know, Loopland or whatever in offshore development. You just open up an office. If you just open up an office in the same loop land with your own management employees, that would be offshoring. But this is outsourcing where you're hiring somebody out, not offshoring where you're instead of, instead of opening up an office, he's talking about outsourcing. Before writing this, I read a few dozen articles, he says, on why outsourcing always fails. And I have a dozen reasons why. However, I think they all miss the point because they are all looking at the problem from a paying customer's point of view. I try to look at it from both sides and tell you the ugly truth. Now, this guy also runs something kind of similar. He's, like a, he's, got like an, he's got an outsourcing coding company that he works for, and it's kind of, they have kind of like a PMO structure. And anyways, it's not really relevant to this because I've kind of highlighted the parts that are relevant for us. So he goes out and lays out a few arguments for this. They're cheapest providers. Here's the argument for that. So you're outsourcing because you want to optimize costs, so you'll end up with the cheapest software shop and sincerely regret it very soon. Okay, what's the solution then? Just pay more? He doesn't think that always solves the problem. It'll just burn more money. Also, I don't think there's a reason anything to do with outsourcing specifically. I don't think there's anything to do with outsourcing specifically. In other business transactions, it's a win-lose scenario straight from the path to failure. And this is an interesting point. But then he goes on to say there's the culture mismatch as well. And this is the one I kind of wanted to loop you in on, Mike. He says you're in California and they're in Brazil. You won't understand each other. And that's why we have cost overruns, schedule slippages, and low quality of code. He says I don't think so. He says, in my experience, it tells me the opposite. Our program, programmers at Team uh, Teamed IO, that's where he's from, are from more than 15 countries. We've never had cultural issues get tangled up. It essentially, it kind of implies it's more of a they aren't really motivated to make communication very much of a priority. And so it's not either A, a good skill set, or B, really in their best interest to, uh, to communicate quick, uh, correctly. And I don't, I don't know how to put this uh, more politically correct, but have you ever felt whenever you're dealing with somebody that's offshore – that sometimes some of the communication barriers are somewhat intentional or it's somewhat just like like it, that is just not a priority for them to make that a good thing. to like Because I have worked with people who work out of the country who are very easy to communicate, not saying that they have perfect English, but they are very clear. You know, they're able to state their objections or, or their goals very clearly. It's basics. You know, it's like it's communication basics 101 outlining the goals and the objectives and things like that in an email. And going back and forth. Uh, And a lot of times that stuff slips. And a lot of times I think it's just a, well, it's a cultural difference or it's a communication barrier. Have you run into this? Have you experienced this frustration? You know, I I don't know what they mean by cultural difference necessarily. Um, In my my mind, it all comes down to expectations, right? And again, we independently found this article. So I have no idea what your thoughts are pre-talking to you. The thing that jumped out at me, oh, and you have no money or a few thousand dollars, like that initial, like, setting up the premise. So, in my mind, you're kind of already set up for failure. 
But, you know, I think it would be a little ignorant to just say, oh, well, you know, folks from country X just suck, right? I mean, isn't that what they're kind of saying with communication issue? Well, no, I think what he's actually trying to say is go beyond that and say it's not that it's they're from a different country and that's why right. it doesn't work. It's that they are not making it a priority to make clear communication an effective tool that they can use. Yeah, I think it's like you go to McDonald's to get cheap food, <laughs> but maybe quality is not a priority there. Right. I, I think that's kind of the and so uh, I Lack guess service, he's what he's trying to what he's but what he's trying to get at is uh, what he's trying to get at is from a from a company standpoint of somebody who runs one of these dev shops over in India or Brazil or whatever. Let's just go with Brazil. Uh, it is not in. So he he points out there's no metrics to measure good communication and how well that makes their 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 projects more effective, and so they can't measure a lot of things appropriately, and so they they have no incentives internally to make that process work better, to make that communicate to facilitate communication and make that work better, and they don't really have uh, uh you know a clear this is going to make me more money kind of problem. So from from a business revenue standpoint, they're just not making it a priority. It's not even like a well, they just do things differently. But we often just write it off as, well, it's a cultural difference. Well, no, it's not yeah. really a cultural difference. It's they don't bother with it. I mean, for, for me, like, just taking that and also jumping to his next point about poor specs, it comes down to, and I've never run an offshore shop in my life, so I have, maybe I'm speaking out of school or at a turn here, but it comes down to, you know, I do know something about the strategy of trying to be cheap, right, and trying to make it up on volume is is very, very hard. Um, because even if you're a domestic company, even if you're, you know, let's say, let's take the U.S. out of it, let's say, you know, Vancouver, Canada, right, you're a Canadian company, dealing with other Canadian customers. It's to, communication really means is there someone there to pick up the phone 9 to 5 every day? Um, do you have account reps? Do you have support staff? All of that is very, very expensive. And if your main way to compete is on price, and I've been there, I have total sympathy that's the first thing that goes. I mean, really, if you were, you know, keep in mind that they're not talking, they're talking a few thousand dollars to develop this project right in the premise. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how it's set up. Yeah, and I, but do you think that's unfair? I think you're going to McDonald's asking for a filet mignon. I think saying that, you know, you... And, and I'll be, you know, Buccaneer, we're a, a pretty low-cost vendor as domestic companies. I actually them. think what he's doing is he's trying to advocate He's trying to advocate for, for outsourcing to shops that are more, more like Buccaneer, that are uh, high quality, that can communicate expectations and project goals. Uh, I think he's trying to say – I think he, that is actually the message because he's trying to advocate for his own company too, which is essentially that same thing. Right. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because right before the show, I was a few minutes late, as always, Chris, because I, I like to be fashionably late. Sure. I mean, yeah, um, it's gotta, you've got to arrive in style. You know, the, uh, you know, swatting, that wonderful uh, decision-making tool that we all learned from Silicon Valley, the TV show. Mm -hmm. I was swatting, you know, is it worth it to, you know, as I'm kind of, you know, making some changes, thinking maybe you know, trying to grow Buccaneer, seeing, seeing what makes sense, is it worth it to hire um, – a position that we affectionately call Gretel, which is basically a tester, an admin, office, you know, kind of a, a helper, right? 
um, an assistant almost. Oh man, wouldn't that be nice? But someone who also does QA testing, because one of the one of the things I struggle with is I'm doing all this dev work or or you know anything that comes in I'm basically doing, and I also have to pick up the phone, right? Um, and I'm trying to look and get projects, and you never, I mean, you'll know this from your days doing IT consulting. You can lose a sale because you didn't respond to the inquiry within 24 hours. Yeah, because they, yeah, because they might have even emailed a few people. And what they time is an investment? And if somebody's already promising them a proposal, they might just say, "Listen, I I can't do an hour phone call with you. Or I'm busy." Um, you know, and that's something that I had before, and I don't have now. And I'm wondering, is it worth it? But devil's advocate on the other side of that equation and this I'll, I'll bring it right back to this very quickly you know i can be very affordable right now because <laughs> very little overhead you know can wheel and deal can win on price if i need to can do stuff like that where once you start down the path of having what i what i will broadly call support people right support staff you can't right even even an office assistant just answer the phone Right. That's expensive. That person expects to be paid, you know. Yeah, and the same is true when you get an office and a property, you know, uh, right. with a lease or something like that. I mean, for me, the, the having the physical space that's a workspace is just invaluable. That's essential. Um, I know we, we if, if people want to listen, they can go on the back catalog. But that was a huge plus. Um, but the downside to all of these things is, you know, the guy who comes and says, I want an iPhone app for a few thousand dollars. I mean, one, that was crazy to begin with for for someone in in the States that's, you know, got a family. Even if it was now, you know, nine, ten thousand dollars, the more you have support staff, the more you have things like a lease or, you know, just, I mean, think about little things, Chris. Someone answering the phone, account reps, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I know. <laughs> the higher, higher and higher you have to go. Yeah, uh, so here's Where, how I see it, Mike. Because I, so I, yeah, I won't make this about, all about me, but I'll just really quickly, you know, uh, for, for a while, my intention was to do this, these podcasts out of my house right. and do all the editing and the hosting myself and really make it one or two person shop tops. And the reason for that was is I wanted to keep advertising to a minimum and uh, I didn't really – there wasn't a system like Patreon and the donations weren't really working. And so I just tried to keep costs to a minimum as much as possible. Uh, But then I realized uh, there is a certain volume you can never really obtain in that model. And the other thing, which is really a super, super hard lesson that I have been learning and I still cannot – really wrap my head around it is there is so much value in giving me a little bit of more free time like when i have just like a day or two our content gets a lot better the the production goes up across the board like there's i think of new ideas like there's there and it's but it's but here's the here's the really catchy thing about that there is no way to quantify that on a piece of paper. So when you're looking at all the things that need to be done and all the responsibilities that need to be divvied out, like answering certain client requests and things like that, it is really hard to find the justification on paper to to pay somebody else, which is committing you to having to continue revenue at a certain level, continuing to have to work at a certain level, just so that way you have more time that you probably will just end up doing something with anyways, or 
really, what are you going to, I mean, how do you just say, well, I'm just going to give myself more free time when you could just do that thing and save yourself the money and keep things a little tighter. But, and, and, but the more you do it, the, the, the more value that time becomes like, I, I really, you know, like I have to keep telling myself to do it from time to time because it is like, I've been, for example, and then I'll shut up about myself. I'm all done. I moved tech talk just to Fridays for a couple of weeks. So that way every now and then I have a little bit extra time in the morning. Now it turns out, uh, life has been busy and, you know, Halloween and all those things have really made life crazy. But uh, it was a very, you know, it's very hard to tell the audience, yeah, I'm sorry, I know that you like to have this daily show, but, you know, the network actually needs me to have a little bit of extra time to work on other things or even just have time to think about things. Uh, and it's a really hard thing to try to value, uh, to say, well, that's worth bringing in staff. That's worth in making right. myself committed to a certain level of cost, especially when the environment you're playing in is super fragile and super fluid, you know, it's just well, a really crazy problem. market. You know, theoretically, you wouldn't want to do anything like that until you have – you work out your projected payroll, your projected payroll tax and have you – know, let, let me have a quarter in the bank, right? But that's probably never going to happen, at least not when you're in such an early stage. Here's been my, here's been my general – and maybe I take it too far, but this has been my general rule I follow is two things. Uh, I, 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 this is my idea. This is my idea. Is number one, I, I do the thing until I hate doing the thing so much that I almost don't want to do the job anymore. And then when I go, oh crap, wait, if I don't want to do the job anymore, that means there's no more shows. I should probably stop doing that thing. So that way I keep doing shows and then I give it off. So what I do is I, over time I wear myself down into admitting I need to get rid of a task, and that's how I identify the tasks that I need to get, get hand off to somebody else to do is the ones that wear me into the ground the most. And then once I'm down in the ground and crawling for life, yes. I'm like, here, take this. I don't want to do this anymore. Yes. And, then, and then here's the thing about doing it like that, too, is when I give them that task, I, I, I don't want it anymore. Don't ask me about it. Don't, 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 don't send me telegrams in the middle of the day asking me questions about it. I'm done with that. I, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I, I gave it away. I don't want it anymore. Because uh, now I have like post traumatic stress about it, uh, so what I have to learn to do is figure out when to when to give all those things up a lot sooner. But it feels very selfish to do it any sooner than that. It feels like uh, and and honestly, the, the revenue has got to come from somewhere, and so it means somebody else doesn't get a raise, or somebody else, or I have to give get revenue up by by doing something else. You know, it, so it's like a it's a it's a big process to go through. And meanwhile, I just want to make shows. <coughs> well. Yeah, and just in bringing it back also to kind of like the development service contracting thing and, and to this article, I will totally give him and give anybody who feels this way that there is a value in minimizing overhead. And the value is you can compete on price. I mean, you know, let's say, and I'm just kind of spitballing numbers here, but let's say I get in a quarter, right, in a 90-day period, 15 potential inquiries. Well, 10 of them are nonsense, right? People who aren't that serious or, or want a service that we don't provide or, or whatever, right? Something I can't do or won't do. And of the ones that are, that are reasonable, it's – I'm sure you've heard this, right? Come be my CTO, equity, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's you know, the remaining three or four that vary you know, in, in, um, in reasonableness. The problem is the higher your overhead, and this is really just basic math, the higher that bar for reasonable is. So for instance, right now, a lot of things are, are fairly reasonable for, for me. 
that depending on certain decisions that could or couldn't be made, that won't be true. And you have to make a choice. Am I turning down, um, and I've, I've have made that choice, but am I turning down this, into, right? Am I Macy's or am I Walmart? That's really the choice you're making. And listen, I've, I've tried to be Walmart. Being Walmart's terrible. Because mm-hmm. you know what people want from Walmart? They want it cheap. Mm-hmm. And your they want bulk volume. They want it cheap, and they want it now. And and, and an interesting thing happened too in the, in the development uh, business. You end up not being the vendor on the project. You end up being the vendor's vendor's vendor. So you're like three levels gone, um, which is challenging because you don't necessarily have a lot of control. So that, you know that's why with Buccaneer we've kind of slowly but surely been trying to break away from that. But on the other hand, if you want to be Macy's, you need to have customer service staff. Someone needs to answer the phone. You can't, you can't just wait for a bigger shop to come in and say, hey, we have this contract. Go do it. Right. And unfortunately, you have to raise prices. How reasonable do you think? Now, I know there's a, the immediate problem to what I'm about to ask you is, gosh, the time it would take to actually find the ones that are any good seems like it makes it too hard. But right. I've been recently, and I haven't pulled the trigger on any of this stuff, but it's recently crossed my mind that a lot of the things that uh, I kind of need on demand to manage a business are available as services. Uh, and I just, I'll give you two examples. Uh, there's, there's several companies I keep hearing uh, ads for in some podcasts that I listen to. It's essentially, it's all the HR management. takes care of all of the managing the employees, the tax forms, all of that. I don't believe that at all, but keep going. Well, it's, you know, it comes from, you know, it comes from some people that, you know, are give it good recommendation. And there's several of them that I've heard about. Now, I'm not saying I would use any of them, but it's essentially like, you know, it's like how what paychecks is for outsourcing. Uh, right, for bigger businesses. Right, right, right. The, right yeah, payroll. but this is, this is yep. designed like almost specifically for dev shops. Um, and then the other thing is uh, uh, like the, uh, you know, there are some more hands-on white glove call services that you can get that are more branded and sound a little more professional. And they can charge you based on you know usage or something like that. And the initial costs are you know each individual case can be maybe semi-expensive, but it's way cheaper than an employee, and you can cancel the service. And so there are some ways to to scale and and, and give some to give some appearance of uh, well, I mean you do they are legitimately your services. They are they are legitimate business services that you'd be using. So that is legitimately tools for that your business offers. Yes, but let me let me just uh, challenge you a little bit because okay, m- I don't know what HR service you're talking about. I've never used one ever, so maybe they are affordable. I today, in fact, had a call with um, I guess I can name a couple companies: uh, Testroid and Applause. They do various um, app testing services for you. The theory behind it is instead of hiring QA people, which is a topic we're probably not going to get to today, you would have a contract with them, um, send them a binary, and they would generate reports. And the thing that's really attractive to me is that they would put it into your, te- your bug tracker. So if you're using you know, Jira, whatever, uh, they would do it for you. Now, they both seem very good. I spoke to two, uh, two nice gentlemen from each company, so one respectively. Um, Testroid's a little more automated, so you have to do a little bit more investment in terms of you know, import their SDK, write your scripts. Probably, it's interesting, a little more control there. Where applause is simply out, maybe not simply, but a, a key 
point of their service is they're outsourcing your QA department. Hmm. Um, here's the problem. One, it is not that cheap, right? Because you don't know – one, you don't have a lot of control there. Two, I just quickly did the math after I got off the phone. To hi- now, it's a little unfair to them because they, they say they give you multiple people. But I was just doing like if I were to hire one, you know, just tester, right, just plain old tester, yeah. it would be more affordable and I could have that person answer phones and do other things. That's not very economical then. But well, I mean, that's always going to be a constant so, line you're going to walk, this, and you got to figure that kind of stuff. Danger, and, this, and the way it ties into his argument is, I have no reason to believe that either of these representatives lied to me. In fact, I think they were both very honest and, and, and frankly, you know, just not. You know, it's it's not an appropriate tool for for my size right now, on, on either front really. But the key selling point on both of them was if you wanted their testing services. Setting aside all of Testroid's automation stuff, which I'm not huge into that because I, I just don't trust automation. You you have to trust them that where I might hire you know someone from a community college um, who just graduated as a junior QA person and would need to be trained, I have the pitches you trust them that the people they're giving you that are doing the work have, quote, five to seven years in the QA field. I have no idea what that means. I'm assuming it's honest, and but no visibility into what they're doing. I don't believe you. You don't. You don't believe that, or you don't believe. No, I'm just. I what I don't. What I what here's this is your preference to this is so obvious. Why you have to take more of the Macy's approach, and I wouldn't even say it's the Macy's approach. I would just say it's the artisan approach. It is the uh, it is the uh, call it the uh, organic. Uh, homegrown, no GMO uh, software development approach. Essentially, my point is is that because you want control over this specific element of your business, it's obvious that you need the more artisan, more Macy style, which is really just a hands-on organic software development approach. That's, I mean, just because, just because this, the, even at this aspect, if this aspect of the development cycle bothers you, I think it's pretty clear that you are more oriented to a super focused, tight operation that's really flexible and nimble, that can experiment with new things, that has tight control over what it does bring on board. Yeah, but my, my preferences aside, right, that, you know, it kind of greatly illustrates this guy's point is I have no idea who these people are. Yeah. Right, um, yep. and it, you know it's it's interesting. I mean, if you want to get into it, I, I can tell you why I'm leaning against hiring either of those services. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, you're absolutely right. It's the flexibility. Um, in fact, I swatted it again. Best way to make a decision. Uh, you have to get a contract with them, and you pay them based on the contract. So if you have a slow month. You can't retask that financial resource, let's say, to, you know, go to a Chambers of Commerce event and try to find a deal, right? Or do something like that. You you don't have the flexibility you have with, you know, perhaps a junior person that you can kind of just have do different things. Yeah, true. Um, there is also an advantage in, well, not an advantage, rather, there's a potential disadvantage in lock-in, right? QA is pretty damn important. Um, you know, I don't see QA 
and maybe I was a little unfair with how I pitched this. In a lot of ways, QA isn't about support. It's about preventing future losses, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's always that last phase of the project that takes forever. It's always that last, you know, one one QA mistake, one bug getting through QA can cause all kinds of havoc, all kinds of hurt feelings, all kinds of problems. And what happens if you... Reputation issues. Right. It can ruin relationships. And I'm not saying that you know, hiring individuals is any better. In fact, it's not, right? I mean, you get the same kind of problems. But at least you have some sort of control. And hopefully you can see a problem before it happens. Um, maybe you... Maybe you don't – I mean you're, you're a little more paranoid than me. Maybe you simply don't trust these people you're talking to, right? Maybe you think that these two companies are full of crap and that they're just hiring kids from like you know Bangalore U. I think everybody right? on both sides of the relationship is constantly trying to optimize cost and that's what's in their most right. – foremost interest. Well, and that's – I mean really this post, that's what it's all about. Like of course the guy who owns the dev shop's primary concern is hitting payroll. Like anyone who tells you it's not is – either running with amazing margins, which he does mention in this post, or is lying. I mean, no one's going to tank their shop for your project, right? No, no one's going to, you know, that's why people are so aggressive and so annoyed with scope creep. Why? Because it, it hurts the shop. It, it's bad. Um, you know, I, I don't, part of the, the issue I have with this post in particular is you know, he says it's a bad thing or he makes it sound like it's a horrible thing that these people who own these offshore shops are concerned with hitting payroll. Yeah. Well, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, really. Maybe you're contracting out so you have a little more wiggle room to kind of screw around with the people who work for you. But aren't you – you know, if you're literally a shop that has people hired – there as employees, peril's like your number one concern. Mm-hmm. Because if you miss it, you have to fire people. I mean, that unless you're Uber and you want to go. And in know, most cases, COD, in most cases, right. in a in a small startup style business, it means you don't get paid for that month. You know, right. Because the first person who doesn't get paid is the owner. Right. Step zero is you don't get paid. Step one is layoffs. Right. Right. So, you know, in in a way. I kind of feel like this article is a little disingenuous because every business is concerned with hitting payroll. I mean, or maximizing profit. Microsoft just laid off another thousand people. Do you think they did it because it was nice? I mean, I don't know if you you missed that story, Chris. They just whacked another thousand. Yeah, people. I saw that. I did see that. Right. Why? Because they were. Hey, we got too big. I bet you we can make this guy do a little more work and get rid of this other guy. All right. Well, yeah, it's a little sad. Let's uh, speaking of doing work. Let's take a break. I'll shift gears and tell you about something that can save you some work. That's DigitalOcean. That's our next sponsor on the Coder, or the first sponsor on the Coder Radio program. And I want you to use our promo code because this will save you ten dollars. Use the promo code Coder Digital. You get a ten dollar credit. You can try out DigitalOcean two months for free. Coder Digital with no credit card required. Now, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider. Dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own server up in the cloud. They use Linux as this base server OS, but you can spin up a uh, instance of FreeBSD, Ubuntu, Fedora. They have a whole uh, – you know, actually one that I think 
I, I do mention it from time to time, but I really do want to underscore this is a fantastic platform to experiment with, CoreOS. And DigitalOcean is a fantastic platform to experiment on. They have a really nice, simple, intuitive dashboard that makes snapshots and backing up before you do any changes really straightforward. So if you're doing something a little out there or you're working on something that's a precious project or, you know, it's just like your kid's Minecraft server, like in my case, which is precious. That is super nice. Plus, they have a straightforward API with tons of really good apps built around it, or you can just take advantage of some of the good stuff that's already out there. Like, honestly, uh, just having the ability to go, oh, yeah, we're going to do this update, open up my smartphone, open up my smartphone, DigitalOcean Droplet, go in there, do, uh, yeah, backup snapshot, boom. Okay, yeah, let's do it. No problem. Yeah, go ahead. They are really slick, and you can get started in less than 55 seconds. Pricing plans are only $5 a month, so using that promo code code or digital, you can try out that rig two months for free. $5 a month. That's less than a burger for the entire month. 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabytes of SSD, because they're all SSDs, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean also has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, and a brand new up in Toronto. It's really cool. And I wanted to also kind of uh, mention that one of the things I'm looking at using DigitalOcean for very soon is a deployment of Mattermost. And I found a uh, guide that we'll have linked in the feedback section of Coda Radio on how to install Mattermost on a DigitalOcean droplet using Docker. Mattermost is an open source alternative to Slacker. So you could host your own Slacker on a DigitalOcean droplet. And also you might check out their community tutorial section. They They have one up on how to use Discourse. With a one-click application deployment on DigitalOcean. Lots of apps you can one-click deploy on DigitalOcean droplets. And uh, here's a little uh, how to do it. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mike. So let's move right along. I know we had uh, quite a few things you wanted to discuss today. Why don't we jump into the topic of shipping? When is it time mm. just to call something done, ship it, and how much polish is enough to say, you know, it's got maybe a couple of bugs on it, but it can ship anyways. That's really the question, right? Yeah. So, you know, as I come closer to finally releasing an app here, um, I, I, you know, I'm faced with this question of, oh, we could just have this one more feature. Oh, let's just, you know, oh, you know, the screen made sense in the wireframes. doesn't make sense now. Let's change it. Um. Oh, let's go. Mm, let's add Android Wear integration. Not that anyone did that. It seems, you know, it seems interesting because I, then I think about a company like Facebook, who can we call them notorious for shipping bugs in their iOS app? That be fair? I wasn't even thinking bugs too. I mean, sometimes people ship with major features missing, and then right, essentially Just patch it in. Well, right, they, 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 yeah, or it's a, it's the next big update. When when you add this feature, they should have had them thinking of streaming built into Overcast. You know, it took till it took like for, it took for like a I don't know a year or it took till the yeah. version two came out, uh, to get built in streaming, so you could just tap on a podcast and play it. Um, and he knew that when he shipped it, the day he shipped it, but he decided ah, I can ship it without that feature. And you know, so there's the, there not only are there bugs that you always know about internally, but sometimes there's major features externally that you have to decide. Ah, going to have to ship without this and maybe add it later and how do you how do you make that call well you know for for me i'm pretty lucky in this sense that the the app itself is seasonal Mm. so if it doesn't ship by a certain time which is coming right up it basically should wait a year which is terrible and it's not christmas by the way that's not the season um but that's activist Fest, I'm sorry, Festivus. Live long and prosper. You know, I'm 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 struggling with 
it's a little different than anything I've really shipped before. It's a little more meat and potatoes, bare bones. Um, it is cross-platform, which is a whole can of worms. For instance, you know, I have a heading here, acceptable bugs. Is it acceptable to say Android 5.0? <laughs> Probably not, right? Hmm. Is it acceptable to say 4.4? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Is it a bug if it doesn't work on 4.0? Well, I guess you could see it as a feature request, and if you got a feature request, you could do an update for it. But Right, right. See, that, that, that's the problem. But that could be a big change. It's a huge change, actually, because... Um, well, if you got to call it, you got to call it. That's where we're at now. We're, you could always hope that, you know, Christmas is, and, and uh, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa are around the corner in Festivus. You could always hope that perhaps... There's going to be some new Android phones given out, and the Santa least, just flies around with Huawei phones. Maybe he flies around with 4.4 or 5.0 phones. I mean, I'm sure very few. It's kind of sad. I'm sure very few 6.0 phones will go out over the holiday season. But uh, oh, I totally forgot about 6.0. Yeah, well, it's because yeah. Why, well, how could you? How could you remember right. unless you have a Nexus, which now I want. But anyway, it's not you know, it, it's interesting. I, you know, I feel like I could safely just say like, yeah, we're not supporting iOS 8 and be okay. Wouldn't be great. But I feel like it wouldn't hurt as much saying it. It would be like, worst case, I think I think iOS 8 and 7, I think I just read a stat from an uh, Apple legal filing. I think iOS 8 and 7 make up like 12% at most and maybe less than that of their user base. Yeah. And the, and the, uh, the demographic we're looking at here is, is extremely likely to be up to date or well, the, fairly close. I bet you could go Android 4.4 and make it. I bet you're pretty close to going five. If you could, just depending on when you ship, you could just check the latest. Uh, well, as it stands now, we have no choice but to go four four. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna have to slip. I mean, we have I have other things I need to do. Can't you know? Can't really focus on this too much um, in terms of. And it's a little weird because it is an Ionic project, so it is Cordova under the hood. Hmm. So it's actually it's not even like. It's our bug. It's kind of a weird compatibility problem we're having with a certain version of Android. I am uh, looking at the stats right now, and uh, 4.4 is is uh, on 38.9 devices. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good chunk of devices. 5.0 is on 15 percent. 5.1 is on eight eight percent, basically 7.9. Uh, when you get down to 4.3, it's four. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think 4.4 is a super safe bet right now. I think it's doable. I, I think it's not crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, then the next question is, well, by design, this design, it's pretty stark. It's pretty, you know, it's, it's stylized, but it's a very, it'll make sense when you see it kind of thing. Hmm. But there's always that temptation to, oh, but we could totally relay this out. You know, let's use a master detail here. Let's change this. Let's, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. And I'm fighting the, the, the devil inside who wants to redesign the whole thing. The one thing that helps y- you to ship is you have to remember that when the people see it for the first time, they had no idea what it could have been or what you envisioned for it. They just see the final version. And that's actually a good thing because a lot of times you see what it could have been and it should have been so, so much more and you wanted so much for it. But since nobody else had those expectations once it lands – and it fulfills a need that they had, well, then it's aces. And, and then later on you can add that stuff, and that's just even better. But see, for those of us who like, and sometimes I'll have an, like, I, I'm, again, using myself as an example, but it just to help relate, I sometimes will we'll put out an episode of a show, and I'll be like, huh, well, I guess that went okay. But, you know, I had a lot more, I had a lot, a lot more planned, or like a guest didn't show up, or something, like just a few things didn't go quite right. 
And then the feedback, well, that was a great episode. And because people didn't know that I had something else planned for it, too. Only right. I did. And so they weren't disappointed because it, they never expected it. Right, right. Well, and this is made even more complicated by that we are targeting a very, very, very specific user here. So, you know, I would even gamble that the vast majority of the audience will have little to no interest in this. Hmm. Um, not, not the you know, process of developing it, but the, uh, the actual uh, product. Is that, you know, which puts a lot of pressure on us to get it out in time for this season, right? I don't know. I mean, I, it's funny because two years ago, I would have just said, obviously, you ship it, see if you get any traction, and then, you know, because you may just not, right? It may just not be worth the time. But I feel like the bar has been raised pretty substantially. And I don't know where you are on that. Yeah, I it does seem I mean it does seem like some of the some of the well-known apps that we follow they've had interesting pricing structure changes. Yeah. Uh and it seems like whenever there is a good a really a good money-making category somebody with uh, some scale can come in and shake oh, things I'm up. Well aware of that. Yeah. It's my other problem. Yeah. Is that, you know, that happened to me once, go back in the back catalog. Right. And yeah, we went from leading the category, really, really opening the category, to basically being the quote worst product in the category. Because <laughs> we, it, it, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, there's there's that whole VC backed wolf nature of the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, if you have a product and then someone goes free, kind of pulls the the legs out from under you. Um, but. Let's hope, hopefully that doesn't happen here. Um, and uh, Chris, you've made me sad once again. So well, I've got a backup plan for you, Mr. Dominic. That's Linux Academy. So you go over there and you get learned up. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. You get the Coder Radio discount and you support this show. In fact, if you want to support the show, just go over there and tour them and check them out and see if it's something that might be interesting to you. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders on that landing page so you support us. This is a really interesting service because it's created by people that are super passionate about open source and Linux, all the tools around that. And they teamed up with educators and developers and they created the Linux Academy platform. There are other well-known online learning sites out there that uh, cover all kinds of really interesting topics. And that's great for them. That's not Linux Academy. Linux Academy really focuses in on the stuff built around the Linux platform. So that way, when you go there, this is what you can deep dive in. You can walk away with the best education in these categories. That's a key differentiator. And not only do they have over 1,900 videos that you can do self-paced in in your own courseware, but they have instructor help that's available when you need it. It comes with your own servers. They spin up on demand. There's seven-plus distributions that you get to choose from. You get to keep track of your progress as you go along. There's different sections that you said it'll tell you this is going to take this long. Plan for this. And it really helps you conceptualize how long learning something new, something valuable, something that makes you a better asset Learning that, how long is that actually going to take? And when you conceptualize it into a set amount of hours, it's stunning how much easier it is to actually get your head around that. You can download the study guides. There's audio and video. They have live sessions. And Linux Academy is always getting better. They just rolled out new features for the month of October. You can now get instant feedback on performing exercises. You can tell if you did it correctly or how you should have done it another way. Instead of having to go all the way through something and then get the... uh, and get the results at the end. There's different courseware now that makes that available. There's some great new tools available. There's, all, there's also new practice exams for certifications like the Red Hat certifications and the, Linux, the new Linux Foundation certifications. 
new practice exams that make it so when you go take those exams, it's a slam dunk. And they've now also launched their professional development certification platform. I invite you to go to linuxacademy.com and they have a uh, – go to linuxacademy.com slash coders though. And they have a link at the top. Also, check out the nuggets over at Linux Academy. I think this is a brilliant idea because this is a way to get some great value out of your Linux Academy subscription. Even when you're like super busy, like the holidays come up and you get busy. Well, then these nuggets – are great. This is a deep dive into a single topic, you know, about two to 60 minutes, depending on the topic. Like here is a, a SSH HTTP secure proxy. Now, come on. Have you wondered how to do an SSH proxy from work through home so you can go do something online the work can't see? I'm just saying, that's a deep dive on that topic. SSH tunneling in general right there. Bash aliases. This is a really good one. Bootstrapping nodes with chef's knife tool using sudo. Okay, all right, wow. In this nugget, we're going to learn how to use the knife command and bootstrap chef nodes with a user that has sudo privileges rather than the root user. That's awesome. There are a ton on here, and they're adding tagging now for things like AWS, OpenStack, because it's not just Linux, right? It's all of the technology around it, the entire stack. That's what makes Linux Academy an extremely good value, and they have a great community too. Go check them out. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. All right, Mr. Dominic. So uh, let's just bust through these things uh, rather quickly so that I can uh, just get your opinion on this. Uh, And this is because we've followed the topic of boot camps really quick. And then we'll get into the Ubuntu topic and we'll wrap it up. Sound good? Great. Great. All right, so uh, the coding boot camps are replacing computer science degrees, according to the CIO article at CIO.com. A 2015 survey uh, from Crew's report of 67 U.S. and Canadian boot camp schools found that the average tuition per program is just over $11,000 with an average program length of about 11 weeks. Huh. Compare that with the average cost of $31,321 for one year at a private college, and the tech boot camp seems like a great deal. Even a year for in-state students attending public uh, institutions can expect to pay over $9,000 per year, while out-of-state students can pay an average of $22,000 per year, actually almost $23,000 per year, at public colleges. Richard Wang, the CEO of Coding Boot Camp, the Coding Dojo, says that the sticker price for higher education as it goes up, he thinks consumers are really questioning the value and return on interest of their education, and he says they should be. You see headlines around millennials having a tough time landing a job, and you start to question if it's really worth it when there are so many other options out there. And the data supports this theory. The more students that are turning, there are more and more students turning into boot camps. The course report uh, predicts that there will be over 16,000 boot camp graduates in 2015. That's nearly 7,000 more graduates than in 2014, with revenue from the boot camp uh, tuition rising 52 million in 2014 to 172 million in 2015. So boot camps are exploding and it's because higher education <laughs> is too expensive and it's hard to really quantify the value for some students. Does this give you pause or do you think this is going to work out okay? Is this the is this the market playing things out the way it should be and letting people hyper focus on an interest? Um you know, I think it's definitely the market at work. I don't know you know, the the problem with talking about these boot camps is that quality varies wildly, right? I mean, really, college and a boot camp I don't think are particularly comparable because you're – at least you're not supposed to just be going to college to get a job, right? Right, yeah. I would see a boot camp as something you're doing it specifically to get a job. Mm, yeah, so, good for point. instance, one of the ways I might create a boot camp 
rather than a college would be, you know, okay, do you have like an actual program with a large employer in your area? Because um, really, what are the possible effects of boot camps, right? Like someone in the chat saying it could lower the average wage of developers. True. That's certainly true, right? If it creates more developers, supply and demand. But how do I know? I mean, if you were to hire a developer, how do you, from you know John's boot camp, how do you know that it's worth it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess you'd, the boot camp would have to have a certain reputation for producing a certain quality of student, which maybe only right. a few could achieve. So then you would essentially, those boot camps would become the more expensive boot camps, and you essentially create the same right, problem. Right, you're creating the same thing. Right, you're creating <laughs> like, right, right. right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, to me, there's a much more logical solution to this problem, hmm. and it's called community colleges. What right? about work experience programs, too? Like, You know, it is, I, yes, but as someone who in the past had, a, you know, sought to hire lots of college grads or not college grads. Um, those have fallen out of favor with the students themselves, many employers, the universities, by the way, and most parents. And I want to be careful of what I say here. Um, the idea of, you know, Dylan, in your case, going to a work experience program is not very attractive to you. Just theoretically, right, as uh, you, the parent here. You would much rather Dylan just get a solid full-time salary job. Oh, I, I suppose. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant while he was in school instead of going into a classroom. going to. You know, it's super funny because a lot of schools are very picky about how they do that now. Yeah. They're pretty much um, not down with it. I mean – What about – I'm laughing because someone put puppy mills in the chat um, about two years ago – or maybe 18 months, eh, two years, I went to a certain for-profit university with um, a colleague of mine, and it was literally a puppy mill. And I'm sure you've heard of this place. They're on TV all the time. They charge more than most private schools, mm-hmm. right? You, you know these places. Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. they're universities, but they're private. Well, not private, rather. They're for-profit, right, which is very different from being private. Um, we interviewed... Well, I don't know if I should – I won't name the name of the school, but we were very not impressed. I'll put it to you that way. And my colleague, we were walking out. The word he said, I've never seen a software puppy mill before. It was awful. I mean the students we spoke to – and these were students who for a bachelor's degree had almost six figures of debt, couldn't do FISBAs. You know, this is a college – Reporting itself as a technical school. Well, see, here seems to be the problem, and I bet this is the same problem that these uh, these technical, these you know, Phoenix and ITT Tech and all, all those the the uh, the other ones out there, uh, whatever it is. Some of them work for some people, some of them don't. But it seems like the fundamental issue you run into is you get all geared up, you get all oriented. Let's say you're a Ruby shop or you're an iOS development shop. Well, the right. technology industry changes over time. So then they all of a sudden are built for something, and now they, now they have to struggle to stay relevant. And how do they do that in a way that is genuine to the students, that isn't scamming them? You know, it's a, it's a, it seems to me like a bubble. It seems to me that the boot camp thing is kind of a bit of a bubble. There's going to be some of it that shakes out, but 
oh, like it's it is, like anything else, right? It, it feels a, it yeah. feels like not a confidence inspiring thing if I'm hiring. I mean, the problem with the boot camps is, you know, they might be able to pump out a bunch of junior iOS developers who are, you know, good enough to employ, right? But you know, an iOS developer isn't going to cost you seventy five thousand dollars anymore if there's, you know, if you put out a, a job opening and you get fifteen applications, right? I mean, there there is something, you know, there's nothing inherently magical about being a software developer in terms of making a lot of money, other than that there's not a lot of people doing it. But even that's starting to change. Yeah. And um, I, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be derogative to all boot camp. Uh, uh, um, um, well, I think they're great. I mean, I think they're good for, you know, you're, you, I mean, we've all heard these stories, right? They're hard luck stories. You work for a business close down your you know you were mid-career support person hard to get a job at this point so you retrain in tech i think that's where boot camps can really shine um Mm -hmm. yeah if you have good work ethic already and these kinds of things right and you're a self-starter yep you know i but one i don't think anybody's going to pay you the same that they would pay someone who took a more traditional path because in my eyes I do see it as a, as a lot more risky, right? It's basically self-taught, um, which I mean, I don't have a CS degree. I'm self-taught, so I'm not. I'm not whatevering. I'm just saying that. And I'll be my first job. I did get paid a lot less than I should have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of because of that, right? Yep. And it yep. was a hey, listen, we'll hire you. Most people won't take it or leave it. Like that's how it was put to me. I don't know why. I guess I don't know why a 17, 18-year-old kid would opt out of even – I could see why you'd opt out of four-year university because of the cost. But if you have decent grades, why not go to community college? Right. So there are plenty of companies who would love to hire a developer for significantly less with an associate's degree, right? I would really? like to hear Jupiter. I'd like to hear the audiences, people that have gone through this, people in this industry, people that are on the other side of this. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Coda Radio from the drop down. Curious because I'm not sure. I am. I am very not sure about this. I want to shift gears because I want to get this before we have to run. Uh, Michael Dominic on October 29th at six in the morning tweets hashtag Ubuntu fifteen ten. Should I give it a shot at Chris Elias hashtag Linux? And then the comment replies storm begun. Actually, Jordan Day tweets in and he says, you know, I'm not a hashtag Ubuntu fan, but I usually give the new versions a try. And then somebody says, yes, especially the Matei variant. And uh, I wondered, what's this about? What's going on here? And did you have any questions for me? The the doctor's here and uh, we're in session. Go ahead. What is the – so, all right. I mean, is there anything worth looking at in 1510 that's new? Uh, No, no. No, okay. No. So the reason I tweeted that was because my my uh, feed got filled with Ubuntu articles. I thought something major had happened. Well, a new version came out, you know. Right. And uh, well, but... you see, back back in the day when they did stuff in these releases, it was it was like it's it's, it's like it's like Apple keynote days for Linux websites. It was not that big, but it was not that big at all. But it was big. Like those would be our biggest episodes. And now it's not so big. However. However, I do kind of agree with some of the advice you got. The Ubuntu Mate version, 15.10. A couple of things I like about it. First of all, 
uh, Wimpy makes it, so I should mention he probably he may he sometimes listens to the show. So tip of the hat to Wimpy. He creates it. He's also uh, he's one of the people working on it and uh, running that community. And he also is often a, almost always a contributor on Linux Unplugged from the Mumble Room. And uh, he was on Linux Unplugged last week, uh, episode 116, and giving me a rundown of all of the new features implemented in Ubuntu Mate 15.10. And essentially what he's done is he's taken the old GNOME 2 you know, paradigm and really kind of brought it forward to... Um, right. well, I've used Mate before. It yeah, feels like yeah. essentially what he's done is it feels like, the, it feels like a lot of... If Canonical was still working on that old desktop, a lot of the stuff they would have done. He's, you know, he's made it really easy to turn on compositing effects. He's made it really easy to change the layout so it either kind of looks like a Windows desktop or a Mac desktop or a Ubuntu. You know, like it's easy just to change all the layouts. And then here's one last thing. I'll let you. Then I'll let you jump in. I'd kind of be curious to know what your work use case would be. But here's the other reason I liked it: is he added a lot of really good stuff, made it easy to, made it easier to install a few things, really kind of just out of the box, which is nice. Uh, and 1510 is a really nice stable base release. It's because you know Canonical just moved and revved on a few nice things. It's got a good kernel underneath it, which I'm which I've been kind of critical for the last few releases of Ubuntu. It's got a good kernel underneath it. Uh, and the other thing that I like about it is that it's going to be a really easy upgrade, I believe, and Wimpy also believes an easy upgrade to 1604 in uh, in April, which will be their next big LTS release. So essentially, you can install it today, and it'll be a pretty minimal effort to go to the next version, which will then have five years of support. So it's a really good OS. It's a good version to jump in on because uh, you can kind of take advantage of some of the nice stuff in Mate and Ubuntu today. And, it, and Ubuntu Mate specifically is just a heck of a performer, especially if you're on an SSD. It's, it's just so ridiculous because it's so low usage overhead-wise that if you have a, even a semi-decent computer, like it's just everything is just so crazy fast. It's, it's, it's a joy to use because it's so responsive. Uh, and um, I, I think you get so you could start to enjoy it today, and then you get you get the LTS version down the road. But Mr. Dominic, I'd be curious, what are you thinking about using it for? Kind of like what would be some of the work tasks or things you would do with it? You know, I don't know. It just sounded exciting. Um, you know, writing a lot of JavaScript these days, a lot of Android stuff, right? So Java, JavaScript, that's kind of where I'm at. I find it really – it's kind of almost amazing now. Uh, you know, I set, one, I set one up over the weekend on a Lenovo Yoga right. 3 and uh, put Chrome on there, put Spotify on there, and I put Telegram on there. And that took care of 80% of the use cases. Oh, and I put Scrivener on there and a couple other applications that I was glad to see are available. And you put those things on there and that is a hell of a workstation right there. Telegram, Dropbox, yeah. Spotify, uh, all these things are really just really simple and straightforward to get working under Linux now. And, well, actually, Spotify and Telegram both required me dorking around and figuring out how to install their packages, which would not have been a problem under Arch. Just saying. Oh, don't even lay that Arch crap on me. No, I think Ubuntu Mate is a nice, steady release if you don't want the sexiest Linux. I think if you want the sexiest Linux, then you do kind of have to actually go Antigross and GNOME 3 and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe Fedora 23, which is coming out tomorrow. So, so here's my problem. You know, I've been spoiled on what I consider the drag queen of BSD, right? Mac. Let's be honest. <laughs> it really is. I, I love mean, that. It, it's like running a Boy George video. Wow. Wow. I really love that. Yeah. It Although it might be uh, slightly inappropriate. Uh, yeah. That's why we're not allowed on iTunes anymore, guys. <laughs> like that. Killing the ratings, really. Um, no, we're not allowed on Google Play podcast right now because we don't have big enough artwork, which is a whole other issue. I can't even believe. Is that really? 
They're, Google's launching their own Stitcher where they can insert their own ads. They're going to cache the oh, files and not. You must and, be so happy. Oh, I love it when I love it when other services uh, re re encode my stuff. Just trying to, like rip you off, basically, and yeah. then don't. So then I don't get any download stats or anything like that. Yeah, no, I love that. And you know, it's not like that. We specifically work very hard to make sure our encoders uh, are, are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, right? I eventually need to like get a machine. I've needed to do that for six months now, and I haven't done it yet because I'm what they call lay picky. Um, I don't know if you know this. Chris Macs are kind of expensive. Hmm. Did you, did you know that? Yeah, they sure are. Right, and there's a whole like slew of software I can't run on it. So, I'm trying to find the machine of my dreams, and I'm starting to realize it may not be a Mac. May end up being, let's say, a Dell XPS 15 with hmm. the little, or a 13, which is the one I keep leaning towards. I'm betting I'm going to interrupt you, but I'm betting this is out of your price range, and this is obviously not an ad. But there's this RX Pro, or however you pronounce it, System 76 just released a brand new laptop, aluminum alloy, that? Nvidia okay. GPORT. So check this out. Check this thing out. Okay, so it's the Onyx Pro or Oryx Pro O R Y X. It uh, it has Bay Trail. Um, uh, that's the new one, right? Bay Trail, the new CPU. Boy, I yeah, can't keep it straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got GeForce at GTX 970 or 980 GPUs. It's got an IPS 1080p or higher display, depending on what you spec it with. I think, uh, and it's it is essentially the, it's a Bonobo killer because it's it's everything the Bonobo has like three generations newer and much much thinner. So it's got the sixth gen uh, Intel processor. Great NVIDIA chip, up to 64 gigabytes. I mean, a gigabit Ethernet built in. Just a monster, monster machine. And it's not cheap, though. No, that's what I say. Wow. That, yeah. Yeah, that is not cheap. I know. I know. This is, this is the problem is I was just recently thinking I have two Bonobos on the table here where I'm, where I'm doing the show. And right. uh, I have one here and one here. And um, they're getting, you know, this one is, this one's like three, three and a half years old or something. And it, uh, you know, it's just getting old and I would love to replace it with something like that so much, but it is. Yeah. But expensive. I mean, this is MacBook pro territory. It's getting there. Yeah. 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 yeah I know. I know it. I know it. I know it. Although, I know. although as spec, it's, hmm. see, that's the thing. You can put three hard drives in that thing. <laughs> Which is just awesome. Just you and your, your video encoding heaven. I can encode from one drive to the other. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And, or I can uh, run VMs on one or video. Yeah, it very, is very nice for you. Uh, so, yeah, I would say if you do give it a go, consider – so here's the thing is straight up Ubuntu 15.10 is just pretty much you install it. It will look – the only thing that's different is the background is from what you'll be able to tell. There are differences and improvements. Well, here's the thing. But, right? I, I want to replace my MacBook Pro because I, I may be handing it off to someone else. But – I don't want to spend more than like a thousand bucks. Yeah, and that is proving to be extremely challenging, like ridiculously hard. Unless I want to get a desktop, in which case it's super easy. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could always look at something like a de- like a NUC or something. Did you say a NUC? NUC, you know, little little Intel. Yeah, dude. No. Are you serious? No, I suppose not. I suppose not. What about a Chromebook? What about a Chromebook? I hear those are going to be a thing for a couple more years. Can always do that. What do you think I do for a living? I know, I know. All right, so I just want to cover something really quick before we run because yep. we got a few emails about this. John Rodin, he says, Hi, Chris and Mike. Just wanted to share this with you. Mattermost is an open-source, self-hosted Slack yes. alternative. Mattermost.org. Thanks for all the shows. And I included a link in the show notes about how to cover or how to do that on DigitalOcean Droplet. And then also, last but not least, DR Boyfriend wrote in and mentioned 
uh, there is a way to uh, silence Android notifications when the watch is connected. You open the Android Wear app, you touch the, the settings gear, con, uh, gear icon, and then find mute connected phone or mute phone alerts and calls and switch that on or off, which I do actually recall seeing that. And that was from DR Boyfriend. That'll stop your phone from vibrating when you get a new, new notification, but only when the watch is notifi- uh, connected, which it clear which corrects some mistakes that I made in uh, last week's episode. But I actually think I was specifically talking about the Pebble, but I might have might have made the mistake of making it sound like Android Wear. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to cover this week? No. I mean, if System76 wants to send me that laptop... Two of us. No kidding. Problems, I know. But... I'm going out there in two weeks. Not uh, So next week, I'll be here. But then after our show, I'm flying out to System76. Maybe I'll just try to smuggle some back. Just, just like knock it into your bag. Yeah. Like yeah. Just, you know, so yeah. Uh, join us because I'll probably be all hyped up about the trip uh, live next week. JBLive.tv. We do this show noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar because daylight savings is a thing. And you can get it converted to your local time zone. We also like your emails, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Choose Coder Radio from the drop down. And last but not least, participate in our subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. Links, stories, feedback. All appreciated. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.